Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Graveyard Coffee Talk. We're your hosts, Amanda and Corinne. And it is still morning, guys. Uh, batch recording is a, is a thing that we do. Yes. Yes, we didn't do it last time we recorded, but here we are. Uh, still morning and still iced coffee. Uh, still iced coffee. We did the Chameleon Cold Brew, but instead of the San Pellegrino that we did, Last episode, a.k.a. like 45 minutes ago for us, we did the extra creamy oat milk to make it just a quick cold brew latte situation. And um, it's good, but I'm still thinking about that blood orange. Yeah. Do you want me to send you home with some of those cans? I mean, I won't say no. I will do that for you because we are friends. Amazing. Yes. Because I uh, definitely bought my own cold brew as well yeah. at the store. And I have zero regrets. None whatsoever. Um, all right. Today's card. Again, we are drawing from the Wild Unknown Tarot because I love it. And I just lost my page because I'm smart like that. Um, so I drew the Nine of Wands this time. Um, Nine of Wands is you are coming close to a completion of a journey or, or something but there is still that little bit of blockage. Like, you need to rally your courage for those final steps. Okay. This deck is colluding with itself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you listened to our last episode, uh, apparently the Wild Unknown heard me talking about how it's known for dragging people and said, I am going to drag this bitch so hard. So hard. Yeah. It's being really mean to me specifically. And Amanda knows why. <laughs> yep. So that's fun. Love it. Love that for me. I'm going to sage this. I'm saging this deck. It's being I mean, too mean. That's just going to make it meaner. Let me believe. <laughs> Let me believe. All right. Anyway, Amanda. Amanda, I know we're doing we're doing an animal series. What animal are we talking about this time? All right. So we are covering Corvid Folklore. And I do have to say Corvid because I do go outside of the crow and raven. Totally fair. I was going to do that, but then I got distracted and I found some really cool articles. Good. That so. is how our research should go. <laughs> like, oh, ooh, rabbit hole. That's why I started including a different bird in this. Yeah, totally fair. Totally fair. Uh, tell me, tell me, tell me. I want to know about the burbs. All right. So much like last week's episode where we discussed foxes and their representation in folklore across the world, corvids such as ravens, crows, magpies, etc., 
are found everywhere on Earth except for the very, very tip of South America and the polar ice caps. I did not know that they weren't found. Well, okay, it does get pretty fucking cold once you get that far down South America. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. Know. Wow, <laughs> look look at me remembering my geography. You, you literally set sail from the tip <laughs> of Argentina to get yeah. to Antarctica. Yeah, no, mm, geography. I passed those classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, dinosaurs evolved into very smart birds and decided that it's their world. The rest of us are just living in it. Uh-huh. And also, like last week, we're at least going to start in the Pacific Northwest. Mm. Uh, just to quickly, very quickly, and we'll get to why, touch on the raven tales of the Athabascan-speaking First Nations people. Mm. Uh, peoples. There are multiple. Yes peoples uh under that so the raven or raven capital r mm-hmm. is often shown as a trickster character who is able to shapeshift into a human form and in some tales also an- inanimate objects oh that's cool and as with many trickster figures raven alternates between hero and antagonist mm. depending on the story And that's all I'm going to say about that set of myths. Um, That's what is considered, quote, public knowledge. Mm -hmm. But my main intention in bringing up this set of stories is to let people know that these stories are largely passed down via oral tradition in this area of the world. And the peoples in this region consider them the cultural property of the clan or person they originate from. Mm. And it is custom that these stories not be told by anyone not a member of the clan where the story originated. Oh, okay. So it is a closed, it's stories from a closed practice. And I'm just, I didn't find that out while doing my research until well into it. Mm. So it's one of those, I want to make sure people are aware when you're looking up folklore, it is important to know how these stories affect the people that they originate from and to respect what they want done with their stories. Mm. Um, So again, don't go searching this out unless you are getting these stories directly from Understood. Um, the First Nations people. might actually explain some of the difficulty I had with some of my research as well. Mm-hmm. So, okay. I'm glad to know that. Yeah. And again, I didn't know that until I was well into my research. I had to delete lots of my notes because mm. it is not my place to tell those stories. Yeah, for sure. Um, but now that we've discussed that, we can talk about another Corvid close to my heart, the magpie. Okay. And... Since I knew that you weren't covering magpies at all, because we did talk a little bit. We did, yes. I went back and found a little bit of information about magpies in folklore worldwide, in addition to North America. Cool beans. So magpies tend to show up in folklore throughout the world. Okay. As gossips and busybodies. Uh, That makes sense. Right? Love that for them. So they're not the trickster spirits that we think of when we think of crows Mm -hmm. or foxes. Yeah. Or like Anansi. I love that. Anansi holds a very special place in my heart. Mm -hmm. And for a fun bit of trivia, magpies might be the bird with the 
oldest stories associated with them, according to researchers at Fresno University. Love that. That's awesome. Yeah. So I, again, I know this next part isn't really North America specific, but it's it's fascinating and it's my podcast. (laughs) So deal with it. So magpies are never mentioned by name in the Bible across any translation Mm -hmm. that is commonly used. Okay. Um, As far as I know, it's not in any translation at all, but I am not a biblical scholar, so I can't say that. Yeah. For sure. But their place in Western folklore specifically is actually very biblical in nature. Oh, okay. So according to some stories, magpies were banished to the masts of the ark during the Great Flood because they were too talkative. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, like, guys, we are living through a collective trauma of watching the literal earth go away. (laughs) If we could have a moment of silence. I'm dying. Oh, my God. Okay. So I loved that. And there's a bit of Irish folklore that states that the magpies donned their black and white coloring as mourning when Jesus was crucified. Oh, okay. And then I guess at Easter they said, I'm sorry, but this is a look. You know what? (laughs) You have to do it for the aesthetic. You have to. It's true. And then uh, another thing to include very quickly, magpie was a long-time slang on the British Isles for an Anglican bishop due to the robes that the bishops wear. (laughs) But at the same time, a magpie's nest was slang for uh, lady parts. (laughs) So people, when they wanted to talk about a vicar or a bishop with a wandering eye who might be getting handsy with the congregation, they would say, the magpie's going home to roost. Love that. Oh my God. Which I thought was hilarious. I I love that we've started finding these little linguistic asides. This <laughs> might have to be like a regular thing. <laughs> when when they're relevant. Yeah. When appropriate, obviously. Um, so going back to North America, the magpie shows up frequently in Cheyenne folklore, often relating to food. Okay. Um. And the story that I found the most interesting that I'm going to focus on is the story of how the buffalo hunt began. Okay. So, in the beginning, buffalo ate man. For buffalo was larger and stronger than man, and that was the natural order of things. Okay. And, you know, hawk and magpie quite liked humans. That's very kind of them. And they wanted to help. Okay. And humans at the time thought that buffalo looked like they could be pretty tasty, like if they weren't actively. You know, having eaten bison, they're absolutely correct. It's, oh my God, it's true. So all of the animals set up a council and the council determined that there would be a race between a representative of every animal and humans. Okay. And the winner would have the right to hunt the others for the rest of time. Okay. Okay. The course that was set was incredibly long, winding around the base of a large mountain. Okay. Because um, we're we're thinking Montana, Colorado. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so big-ass mountains out there. Massive, very young mountains. Big-ass mountains. The swiftest buffalo, Nika, 
felt very confident in her ability to win the race. Good for her. And uh, humans were <laughs> real worried about their own prospects. And uh, endurance hunters. It's fine. Several humans even died tasting new plants to try to find some sort of like endurance drug. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> okay. To help reduce fatigue. Yeah, sure. So the animals all got themselves ready for the race and painted themselves. So that's when Magpie painted oh, I love that. her feathers. Uh, water turtle painted red around the eyes. Oh, baby. Et cetera, Yeah, yeah, et cetera. yeah, yeah, yeah. And Hawk and Magpie knew that due to their wings, they would have little to no trouble at all with the race. Mm. As the race went on, animals started falling well behind. Yeah. Um, but their lives were on the line, so they did continue running. And mm. the race took hours. Many animals started to run themselves literally to death. Yeah. Uh, which ended up culling the field until it was hawk, magpie, buffalo, and human. Okay. Were the only ones remaining, with human trailing the other three by a little bit. Okay. As they approached the finish line, as they had agreed, hawk and magpie dive-bombed buffalo. <laughs> I love that. I'm sorry. Um, which, if you've heard any stories about magpies. Yeah, swooping season, y'all. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting to me because North American magpies aren't really known for swooping season. They're not. The way that Australian magpies are. But, like, have you accidentally ever gotten too close to a magpie's nest? It don't end well. <laughs> I, that I believe. So, again, they dive bomb Buffalo Mm. and keep harrying her, which gives human just enough time to eke out a win. Ah, I love that. And Buffalo, as a whole, did decide to accept their lot in life. Yeah. But they wanted to taste human meat one last time. Okay. So they did feed their children with the last bits of human flesh they had around And they stored that flesh in the front of their chests, just below their neck. And that's why we don't eat that part of the buffalo. Interesting. Nothing to do with it being just a complete fat deposit. Interesting. I hate it, by the way. Look, I was too wholesome last episode. I had to throw something in. I understand. I understand that you have to do this. You, (laughs) like, truly half the reason we started this is because you wanted to torture me. It's true. A little bit. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, and there is another version of this story where Coyote actually tried to help Buffalo. Enter. Well, okay. That makes sense. And that's why humans don't hunt Coyote for meat. It Only using his pelt is the insult for Coyote helping Buffalo. Interesting. Instead of helping human. Okay. Okay. Which I thought was really... Love really that. fun. Okay. And that is my segment. Okay. Oh, wow. That's really great. I love that. Um, that made me unreasonably amounts of happy. Okay. So, I do love Corbins mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. Uh, they are intelligent. They are playful. They hold a grudge like no one's business, which, same. Yeah. For real. Uh, and they have my vote to inherit the earth after humanity's days are done. Which is looking sooner and sooner right? every day. Uh, my opinion is actually heavily swayed by the fact that in some mythology, they are psychopomps, which is just kind of my favorite concept. And mm-hmm. also, I like the word psychopomp. 
So when you and I first started talking about this conversation, my first thoughts were like, Hugin and Munin, the Ravens at the London Tower. Um, but I knew I needed to dig in a little bit more because, you know, I don't know what I don't know. Exactly. Uh, so I I started doing my, my Googling and I'm really glad that I did this because I learned a lot of really cool things. Uh, so I am going to be a little bit self-indulgent and I'm going to talk about Ravens and Crows as symbols of prophecy. So, you know, we do have Hugin and Munin, uh, Odin's Ravens, their names mean thought and memory and their job. God, I love an animal with a job. <laughs> you know, I love an animal with a job. I do. And yet you have these freeloading cats. I know, but they're real cute. And um, so their job was to travel the mortal realm and to bring information back to Odin. And it wasn't just Norse mythology that had ravens associated with prophecy. Uh, it turns out that in Greek and Roman tradition, ravens are sacred to the god Apollo. Okay. Which I had no idea. Uh, and as anyone who's on Tumblr knows, uh, Apollo is a god of prophecy, amongst other things. <laughs> Sorry, I'm on Tumblr. It's oh bad. Oh my goodness, that the the Apollo gift of prophecy meme is the gift that keeps on giving. It's sometimes people just post pictures of the, the red ball. Dot. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Uh, anyway, one story about Apollo and his ravens is that Apollo got pissy at one of his white ravens because the raven brought him some bad news. Um there was a mortal woman that he loved and he sent the raven to go check up on her. And it turns out that she was being unfaithful to him with another man. Oh, no. Apollo, how many women were you sleeping with at this point? Yeah, he'd, just, already, he'd already impregnated her. Just to, uh, yeah. just a question. Um, so he torches the raven as a punishment. And that is why ravens are black. Okay. Is, is Apollo the original don't shoot the messenger? Uh, apparently Sorry. i don't even know man i it's like like i said i'm just doing like glancing we're job we're bopping around a lot of places um so as i mentioned earlier corvids are often cast as psychopomps uh mostly because in real life they are carrion eaters mm-hmm. um they so they have a very close association with death and one of the things that i found while i was doing my research again this is just a little brief touch is th- uh the story in the quran one of the very first mentions of Raven, where uh, Cain is inspired to bury his brother Abel's corpse because he sees a raven burying another dead raven. Oh. Right? I didn't think it would be because of a raven funeral. I thought it would be, oh, I should probably keep him from being eaten. Right? Right? That story did not go where I thought it was going to go. No. I was like, I'm sorry, what? What? It was really cool. Um, so now I am going to combine Raven's association with death, their association with prophecy, and animals with jobs. This is going to be the bulk of what I'm talking about. Amazing. Um, I have got to bring up the Ravens at the Tower of London. <laughs> tended to by the Raven Master, which is kind of the coolest job title on the planet. Yes. Um, Ravens have been kept at the Tower with their wings clipped, more or less, as not pets, but like uh, honored guests who can't leave. Okay. You know, <laughs> um, there are stories saying that they've been there since the 17th century. Uh, the given reason for this is that King Charles II was informed of a prophecy that if the ravens were ever to abandon the tower, then the kingdom would fall. That is used as a plot point in the Matthew Swift series. Interesting. Which... 
if I've never lent to you, I have failed you as a friend because I think you would be obsessed. You've talked to me about it, but I've never read the books. Okay, I need to give you the first yeah. book. Let me see if I can find them from the library first. So anyway, King Charles hearing this prophecy is like, well, shit. Gotta keep the ravens as a permanent fixture. Uh, so they've tried to make a point of keeping a minimum of six ravens at the tower at any given time. Uh, so obviously I was like, well, I need to learn more about this prophecy. Mm-hmm. Like, let's let's dig into this. And there is some thought that it may partially have come from a legend from the Mabagonian which is a compendium of Welsh myths. Um, in the Mabagonian, there was a king and also a deity named Bran the Blessed, blessed, I can words, Bran the Blessed, uh, who ordered that his head be buried in the hill where the Tower of London now sits, facing out towards France, so that he could perpetually guard the island from invaders. And, you know, that makes sense for how the British Isles view the French. Well, Historically. 1066. I have rants about 1066. You've heard them. I have. One day I'll get drunk and share them with our podcast listeners. Um, there's actually another <laughs> mention that King Arthur dug up Bran's head from the hill because he was the only strength needed to protect the island of Britain. Okay, look, there is self-confidence <laughs> and then there is arrogance and well, sir... Uh, so to note, Bran is actually the modern Welsh word for raven. Interesting. And King Bran the Blessed is also closely associated with ravens in the gift of prophecy. Well, that makes it, it that definitely affects the Game of Thrones books mm-hmm. because Bran. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so hilariously, Bran the Blessed. Wikipedia entry says not to be confused with Brian Blessed, which is 900% where my brain first went when I saw the name. I Because I am a trash fire of a human being. I did the exact same thing. Thank you. And I was just imagining this king chewing the scenery (laughs) everywhere he went. Yes. Uh, Anyway, my initial Wikipedia dive when I started reading about this indicated that the origin story isn't actually as old as we thought. So, uh, during the Victorian era, ravens were started to be kept at the tower largely for aesthetic purposes. Uh, It is much easier to sell tourists on gruesome stories about ravens eating the corpses of executed nobles like Lady Jane Grey or Anne Boleyn when you have handy-dandy living props to back it up. Corinne, all you had to say was, in the Victorian era, the was done for aesthetic purposes. (laughs) Love that. Uh, Yeah, so anyway, the first... Sightings that we get about this, uh, the story that the Empire would one day fall if the Ravens at the Tower actually comes from 1944 during the height of World War II. Uh, the Ravens actually had an unofficial job during World War II. Uh, they were spotting German bombers during the Blitz. Oh. Unfortunately, most of the Ravens kept at the Tower at the time did die of shock during the bombings. Babies. Yeah. Um, they were just... Trying to live, and bombs are scary. Yeah. So uh, the American scholar Boria Sachs actually wrote an article on the subject called The Tower Ravens, Invented Tradition, Fake Lore, or Modern Myth? And I accessed this on JSTOR. It is absolutely worth the read. Amanda, I'm sending it to you. Please do. I Ever since I covered Paul Bunyan, I have been obsessed with the idea of fake lore. Yes, so, uh, Sachs contextualizes the tradition of keeping ravens in the tower as a confluence of both invented tradition, which also includes things like Scotsmen wearing kilts, 
Uh, And one of the hallmarks of invented tradition and one of the reasons why Sachs does not believe that the keeping of the ravens can count as an invented tradition is because it's in an invented tradition, things are very vague. It's loyalty, it's honor, things like that. That's why we do these this invented tradition. You know, we're hearkening back to the mm-hmm. days of old, but there's nothing specific about it. Whereas keeping ravens is very specific. He does bring up the thought of it possibly being fake lore, um, like Paul Bunyan, like you said, or modern mythology. This does function as a myth. We're setting it back long time gone in ancient days it has a very discreet purpose but it is from a contemporary time period interesting and that is a topic that i really hope that we have an opportunity to explore more going forward i would love to examine this idea of fake lore versus Mm -hmm. modern mythology and where it is there a difference and if so where is that line because One of the things that he said, and it's one of those things that I texted to Amanda and a group of our other friends, which was just one of the most beautiful sentences, and I have to find it now. I can find the text. Here we go. I got it. Okay. So he's talking about the whole Britain will fall. And what he ends up saying is, at a most fundamental level... Britain is a story, and stories do not fall. They do not really even end, but simply move on to new episodes and forms. And I just, like, I got blown away. I I was drinking wine and crying. It was great. She was. I got that text, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, so while I was, you know, weeping over that, I, I'm still digging around a little bit. And I actually also spotted amongst these tales and twists on familiar tales was um, I'm going to probably mispronounce this because it's another Russian word and I forgot to text Julie. Yulia? Words. Yulia, I'm sorry. I said your name wrong. Please don't be mad at me. <laughs> I learned about Kutk, which is a raven spirit revered by the indigenous peoples of the Russian Far East. Okay. Um among these groups, Kutk played an important role in the creation of the universe, and in some stories, he also creates himself independently of any creator spirit. Interesting. Which is really cool. Um, it's absolutely something a raven would do. Yeah. As well as being the progenitor of other spirits. Uh, there are a lot of parallels between the stories of Kutuk and the stories of raven in the Pacific Northwest, um, likely because of the communities that developed in both Russia and the Pacific Northwest had opportunities to interact with one another through trade and through travel. Uh, I wasn't actually able to find many sources that seemed reputable for information on Kutsk, which could be because close traditions. Yes. I wouldn't be surprised. Yes. Um, and because I, I went on to JSTOR and I'm searching. I didn't find anything, but I did find a really cool poem that touches on the many roles that ravens have played in folklore, religion, and literature. And I will read just a small snippet of it because I don't have permission to do the whole thing. And it starts with, My throat's a fist that grips a coarse sandpaper song. I quoth forever, nevermore. Am something like a writing desk. DC comic vixen in the mix with Lou Reed concept album, Gone Preposterously Wrong. Pebble-eyed, face grotesque. And it goes on from there, and it just cites so many different ways that the raven has been used in folklore, 
in literature, in pop culture. It's a really great poem. It's written by Edward Mackey. He is a contemporary poet born in 1983. Fantastic. And this is from, I want to say, oh, I can just look this up because I downloaded it. It was published in 2011. Okay. That is what I've got. I I really loved this research. I had so much fun and I, I went on some wild tangents, but damn if it wasn't cool. Yeah, no, I loved this episode. So much fun. I can't wait to send you all of my, my little squirreled away. I, I now have a file on my computer, guys, that is just pretentious folklore articles. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not, I don't have a problem. It's fine. It's whatever. It's all good. But yeah, I think that's uh, that's everything. I think so. Uh, again, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Um, let us know. I know we asked at the end of last episode what you guys might be interested in newsletter-wise. And for all I know, since we're recording these on the same day, you guys have already flooded us with suggestions. Do it, do it, but do it. If you haven't and you've thought about something, you know, you've been really wanting to learn more about a certain topic we've covered, um, just let us know. We'd love to provide you guys with content that you guys would like. You know, we aren't making any money off of this podcast, but I really like sharing. It's a labor of love and people. I, I mean, hell, I'd, I'd pay to do this. Yeah. So... Again, thanks for tuning in. Um, I guess we'll we'll talk to you guys next episode. Yeah. So, sweet dreams and caffeinated nightmares, everyone. Good night. Thank you for listening to Graveyard Coffee Talk. Our theme music is Pretty Little Dead Girls by Sean and McGuire. Copyright 2006 and used with permission. Our cover art is by Kyle Welsh. If you want to keep the chat going, please visit our website at graveyardcoffeetalk.com for transcripts, episode notes, and more. Follow us on Instagram at Graveyard Coffee Talk Pod or on Twitter at Talk Graveyard. About three years later, the storm is gone. The six years out there on the hill.